0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. Let's get right to the show. The cancel culture, alive and well, or alternatively, Does the anonymous letter writer have a point? All right. The story that we start with comes from St. Anthony, Minnesota, which is a, a suburb about three or four miles outside of Minneapolis, to give you an idea where this is. There is a woman... I believe it's a woman who puts up what I would describe as a modest Christmas display. I mean, this is not a Chevy Chase Christmas vacation type of Griswold Christmas. It's it's a lighted wreath and some lights in their front yard, etc., etc. She receives a letter. It is addressed to her. Um, it's not signed and it just says neighbor and it's got her address in St. Anthony, Minnesota. So here is what the letter says. I couldn't help but notice your Christmas lights display. During these unprecedented times, we have all experienced challenges which casual words just don't describe what we're feeling. The idea of twinkling, colorful lights are a reminder of divisions that continue to run through our society, a reminder of systematic biases Against our neighbors who don't celebrate Christmas or who can't afford to put up lights on their own. Let me read that sentence again. The idea of twinkling colorful lights are a reminder of divisions that continue to run through our society. A reminder of systematic biases against our neighbors who don't celebrate Christmas. So if you live in a neighborhood where you have people who are Muslim or you have people who are Jewish, um, by putting up Christmas lights, you are um, showing systematic bias or... Um, it is also bias against people who can't put up afford to put up lights of their own. We must do the work of educating ourselves about the harmful impact an outward facing display like yours can have. I challenge you to respect the dignity of all people while striving to learn from differences, ideas, and opinions of our neighbors. We must come together collectively and challenge these institutional inequities. St. Anthony is a community welcoming of all people, and we must demand better for ourselves. So the point is these lights are harmful and and you should be ashamed of putting them up because that they demonstrate the systematic bias against people who don't celebrate christmas and or people who are economically not in a position to put up as many lights as, as you have and by the way again this is not candy cane lane <laughs> this isn't this is it's like what i would describe as a is a modest christmas display Let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does the letter writer have a point? In today's society, in 2020, soon to be 2021, if you put up Christmas lights on your house, are you essentially saying, well, first of all, I don't care about anybody who might not celebrate uh, Christmas. All the people who are agnostic, all the people who are atheists, all the people who are of some religious belief other than Christian, th- this is, I'm thumbing my nose in your face. And for people who might be Christian but aren't in a position to afford to, I don't know, put up a light display here, I'm mocking you as well. 855 that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is that a legitimate point? Or is this, again, another one of these examples of political correctness completely and totally run amok? Do we need to say to people who put up Christmas displays? And and my guess question would be, how far do you carry this? Now, we don't have outdoor lights, but we have a little display on our front porch. We've got a reindeer. There's a sign that says Merry Christmas from the Wagners. Um, and, And you can certainly, you can... You can see our Christmas tree my wife has done a tremendous job of you know decorating the tree and at night when it's lit up you can see it from the outside I mean should I be ashamed am I culturally insensitive because I have this Christmas tree and, and by the way I have a number of my neighbors are they're Jewish a- am I am I offending them by putting this Christmas tree up Eight five five six one six one six twenty. we discuss in a moment back to take
0: your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner
1: okay let me share a couple of texts before we go to the phones uh, heather says the lady would have gotten a one-fingered salute from me that i presumably would be the letter writer jeff what the hell is wrong with people the writer needs to follow your advice and get a helmet there um, 855-616-1620. That's the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, to those that don't celebrate Christmas, I would say happy decorations, and I would say that's why I decorated, so you may enjoy the holidays and move on. Um, Jeff, I can't offend anyone, but it's okay for them to offend me. Um, Jeff, I thought all residents of this great nation were freed and had rights, including the rights to express them uh, let's see, Jeff. I think Christmas lights are are beautiful. Um, even though I was raised in a Jewish family. I look at it as people believing in something and celebrating their faith I have no problem with all that. I have to feel that people can decorate for whatever holiday they're celebrating Whenever they're celebrating my house my decorations if people can't afford extra lights for their house Then come to our street and enjoy ours with us. Yeah, I th- see that to me that, that That's kind of the key. I really legitimately seriously Wonder who it is that wakes up in the morning and looks at beautiful Christmas lights and says, okay, well, I, I'm going to be offended by this. Um, if, if you don't want to appreciate any sort of religious significance to it, that, that's fine. Then just enjoy the beautiful holiday light display. What's wrong with that? Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jeff. Um, I had actually called you about Thanksgiving. We had a great Thanksgiving with my dad, um, who's uh, 88. And um, my mom is in a facility, and I have not been able to see her for several, several months, including my father has not been able to see her. Um, We put up the lights in the trees, one, for him, and I find it really kind of just insensitive that people don't know what's going on in other people's houses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm taking care of my father, and it means something to have lights up in a tree that is something of a tradition that they always used to do. So it's not always happy, happy, joy, joy. Sometimes you do things for other people um, in your household to just to keep the memory alive sure. and to hope this gets over soon.
1: But but I guess the bigger point is who who has the right to be offended by that? Have we really gotten to this point in twenty twenty where you drive yeah, you know you drive through a neighborhood around Christmas time <laughs> or around Hanukkah time and you see Hanukkah displays or you see They're Christmas displays? On yeah. I mean, people. Well, that, that's it. No, thanks. For going. No, that's exactly what that's exactly what this is. This is picking on people. It's like, well, how dare you do that? And you must be insensitive. I mean, and the idea that, well, even for people who might appreciate this, they might not be able to afford it. I mean, OK, so so where do we draw the line with that? Hey, you know, that that car that you have in your driveway, you've got that BMW in your driveway. Well, some other people can't afford that BMW. So you should be ashamed of that? How dare you leave that in your driveway? Or, you know, wh- where do you end up drawing the line on, on this type of stuff? Oh my goodness, you've got that fancy light pole out there. Well, some people can't afford that. Well, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Give me a break. Elijah in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Uh,
2: hi. hi. Uh, thanks for accepting my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I honestly believe that it's just downright bullies and stupid and ignorant. Because yeah. you choose to celebrate your religion, that automatically means that you're targeting somebody else. Right. I myself, I'm not Christian at all. Mm-hmm. But those white displays are actually beautiful and amazing to look at.
1: Yeah. Well, well right, exactly. So if... If if you want to look at holiday lights as just being holiday lights with no religious significance at all, that that that's that's absolutely fine. Boy, I, I I love that sleigh. I love the display. Look at all those twinkling colored lights. It's really pretty. Or even if you don't think it's pretty, that that's okay. But you know, then then you just keep your opinion to yourself and you say, all right, well, don't understand why they spend all that money and put that stuff up there. But to be offended by it and to suggest that other people should, that's what's beyond me. I just don't get it.
2: And, and secondly, if I honestly don't have the money in order to afford it, I'm happy that you put them up. I can enjoy yours.
1: Yeah. No. Thanks for the call, Elijah.
2: Ridiculous.
1: No, you're you're right. And the word you used at the beginning was exactly correct. This is this is the bullying from the politically correct and the perpetually offended. This idea that we should be able to intimidate. It's what I call the tyranny of the minority. And in this case, it's an extreme minority. You get the one person who gets a bug up his or her, you know what part of their anatomy I'm talking about. And then they decide to, to lash out. And, and nobody can enjoy this particular situation. I've got a couple texts from people who are saying, you know, it, it is kind of interesting in the whole economic thing. They're saying, you know, when we were growing up, um, we, we didn't have a lot of money um to put up like grand Christmas displays and stuff. So what we would do is our parents would pile us in the car and, and we'd drive around to different areas and and look at the different displays that were out there. And that kind of brought us in and made us gave us we, we enjoyed it. We we got pleasure out of doing that. Jeff, um here's a text. Actually the letter writer is the insensitive one. If you don't like the decoration, stay in your house or go somewhere else where there's no decoration. At all, yeah. For for the person who is upset about this little, and again, this isn't Candy Cane Lane. I'm I'm looking at the pictures of it, and it's it is a modest. Christmas display with a handful of lights and uh, a lit-up wreath on the second floor of the house. Jeff, the person who wrote this letter needs to grow up and get a life. Personally, when they said the community is respectful, yet they are the ones not respecting others. I I laughed. I think the lady with the lights should add, add music and perhaps make it even more merry. Jeff, I'm Jewish, but my kids were raised Catholic. I love holiday lights. Free choice, personal property, I can do with it what I want. I don't like certain signs in people's yards, but I accept the freedom of choice to display. Lights are at least fun, happy, traditional, and beautiful. Um, Jeff, the letter writer, as you say, could pound sand. Um, um, and then. But when did this political stuff get so out of hand? My message to the writer would be, you need to get a life. Um, sure, Jeff. I don't really celebrate Christmas. I don't decorate and I don't get offended when people do decorate or put up Christmas lights or decorations. I actually enjoy seeing other people's decoration to match so that I don't have to put up my own to enjoy the season. See, that's, that's also again the the key. The the bottom line is you can always find somebody who comes up with some objection. Oh, we're not being, we're not being inclusive enough because you want to put up a Christmas tree or you want to put up lights. So you are excluded. Somebody, shame on you! No, no, you're you're not. And then the, this this class envy is going to be the new thing because even even if you get past the whole idea of well, you're excluding that, it's like oh, you're just rubbing it in because. You've got, you've got that Christmas light display. Imagine the person that doesn't have the money. You're trying to lord it over them. No, you're, you're just expressing yourself and you're doing what you, makes you feel good. And hopefully, most people that have the sense that God gave a goose would look at that and they would say, boy, that's really a beautiful display. In my entire life, I have never looked at an outdoor light display and said, Boy, I really resent it. I feel terrible because that person has a bigger house than mine and they're able to put more lights on it. What kind of twisted, unfortunate person looks at something like that and comes away with that take? This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: How can you celebrate the holidays with WTMJ this year? Yeah, there's no formal holiday Christmas show like we've done in the last five or six years where you can buy tickets and we all get together. Well, this year, it's the WTMJ Virtual Holiday Trivia Night, benefiting Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland. Don't miss this exclusive chance to Zoom With your favorite WTMJ hosts, we're doing it a week from tomorrow, Wednesday, December 16th. Tickets are on sale now at WTMJ.com, and you better move fast. There is only room for 80 of our fans and listeners. That's right, That's and it's limited because of the size of what you can do on Zoom. So it's the first 80 people. That's the WTMJ's Virtual Holiday Trivia Night. It benefits Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland. It is sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc. All right, in addition... So we mentioned yesterday all this week. What we're doing is it's our our Wagner's holiday wish list, and if you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash six twenty wtmj, you you can you can play the game every morning at eight o'clock. What we do, and it's the royal we, we we post a a, a particular item involved with cedar crest ice cream and like yesterday it was tom and jerry's today it's oreo ice cream desserts and what happens is you get a chance to play and you, you get the guess how much all the different ingredients cost and the person who comes closest without going over well they end up getting a gift certificate from cedar crest ice cream it's a fun little thing you can check it out on facebook um but it your entries have to be in by two o'clock that's the deadline and then during the two o'clock hour of the program we will announce who the winner is of the person that is who came closest to nailing the overall cost. So you can do that on our Facebook page. It's very, very cool. All right. I I have, I'm having one of these, oh my goodness moments, because I, I understand that there are some of you out there who Believe in your heart of hearts that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And despite the fact that the Biden campaign got millions of more votes, that there was this massive conspiracy that was out there and all this fraud that stole the election from Donald Trump. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not in that camp. Do I acknowledge that there were. We need to learn from every election and try to figure out what the better practices are. But so far, there hasn't been any evidence presented of widespread fraud. And I, I don't mean, I don't mean, gee, was this a technical violation? Did the husband who sent in the absentee ballot forget to put his address when he witnessed, uh, his wife vote? I, I'm not talking about the technical stuff. I'm talking about the overt fraud where People who don't exist, voted, things like that. There, there at least at this point in time, there's no significant evidence showing any sort of massive fraud. And, and if there is, if there's like I say, if people have evidence of folks going into nursing homes, for example, into the dementia ward and, and filling out um, by mail absentee votes for people who aren't competent to vote. Well, that information should be presented to the local authorities and then people should be prosecuted for it. But but. It's one thing to say, do we need to do better? Should we have, for example, in Wisconsin, the courts determining how particular statutes should be interpreted moving forward? And the answer is absolutely yes. But that's a far cry from saying we are going to have the courts determine that Donald Trump is going to be the president. And the, the breaking news today is the Texas attorney general has now filed a lawsuit against Wisconsin, Georgia, Michigan and Pennsylvania. All states that Trump lost in the United States Supreme Court asking, well, the demand is that these states, that certain bodies in the states exploited the coronavirus pandemic to ignore election rules. And the result they're asking for is they want the Supreme Court to order order the legislatures in all four of these contested states to vote for Donald Trump instead of Joe Biden. And and because the legislatures are all controlled by Republicans, they presume that's what's gonna happen. If the court now the Supreme Court isn't gonna to touch something like this, if they were to do this, this would be Well, it would be along the lines of what we would call, if it happened in a third world country, we would call it a coup. So it's got no chance of happening at all. Again, it is a distraction from the major issue, but, but it's out there. And again, it smacks of this kind of desperation that is very troubling. You know, do we need to figure out ways to run elections better? Should the courts be the ones interpreting? Gee, who gets to vote? Who gets to declare when they're actually indefinitely confined? Absolutely. No problem with That, but the idea that we are going to overturn the election and the theories that are being advanced are getting crazier and crazier.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: I don't say this to be an extremist or an alarmist, but the level of crime in southeastern Wisconsin in general and in Milwaukee in particular has reached a level that as somebody who spent most of his life here, I, I never thought we would see. And and we really are getting close to that point where you almost wonder whether it's escape to New York, whether civilian authorities have completely and totally lost control of their ability to, I don't know, keep the streets safe. Now, we mentioned yesterday, I mean, over the weekend, you had a 17-year-old girl, a 24-year-old, and a 33-year-old who were all shot and killed in separate Shootings. The teenager was shot and killed at a party in her home. Twenty-four-year-old was killed coming out of a bar in the third ward while walking home, and the thirty-three-year-old man was shot to death near Holton and Keefe, not that far from where I am sitting right now, um, through mid just before midnight on sa- on Sunday. So that that that's three, and of course we are on a we are on a pace to set a record for homicides in the city of Milwaukee. You're going to have to go back to 1991 to find as many homicides, and this might be an all-time record. It might be an all-time record. But, of course, it, it's not It's not just the homicides that are out there. It's the shootings, and it, it's the violence, and it's the lack of regard for the laws. Uh, during the 12 o'clock hour of the program yesterday, I talked about this story about this um, guy, Who An 18-year-old guy who fled from the police, ran through different stoplights, um, ended up then, after crashing the stolen car he was driving, got out and ran. He had a gun. The police told him to drop it. He gets behind a bush, and the the gun discharges. His story is it went off accidentally. Um, Well, okay, maybe that's the case. um, Or... The other interpretation is he fired at the police, and then when they returned fire, he ended up dropping it. So you have that story. Well, here's the other one. Get this. On Sunday night, Milwaukee police and a suspect exchanged gunfire in the 4300 block of North 51st Boulevard. Police noticed a reckless drive for moving down North 51st Boulevard and West Capitol. Why is it that all this stuff happens on Capitol Drive? The car in question comes to a sudden halt to avoid hitting another vehicle. According to police, two officers then approached the car on foot. As they were doing show, several shots were fired from the car. One officer, a 24-year-old male who had been with MPD for five years, returned fire. Nobody was hit. The suspects fled in the vehicle, and a pursuit ensued. The chase ended near the 6,000 block of West Hampton Avenue. 31-year-old male and a 30-year-old female were arrested. So, okay, you've got this car that's driving recklessly. It it comes to a, a stop to avoid hitting someone. The police get out of the car. The occupants of the vehicle open fire on the cops open fire on the cops, and then take off. So, I mean, again, it's but for the grace of God that we don't have police officers that are dead. Then you've got, I'm just giving you an example, and these are not the only stories. Milwaukee woman being treated for critical injuries following, wait for it, an overnight shooting. According to Milwaukee police, a 54-year-old woman was shot near 74th and West Capitol Drive. You seriously wonder whether, you, you know you know what is what is safer you know pick the most dangerous city in the middle east and then compare it to what's going on on Capitol Drive in Milwaukee and wonder where you're safer. 54-year-old woman was shot near 74th Street and West Capitol Drive around 1.45 a.m. on Tuesday. Victim was taken to a local hospital and treated for her injuries. Uh, Shooting occurred during circumstances that are still under investigation. Well, it, it goes on and on and on. Now, I could spend 20 minutes every day. Just going through the police blotter of all the different stuff that, that is going on. Now, yesterday, after the spate of homicides and shootings over the weekend, a couple of public officials come forward, and, and their response is, "Well, it's not our fault. It, it's just we need help from the state of Wisconsin. There, there's too many guns that are out there." And and I was listening to this, and and I guess my question becomes: Are are there too many guns? Or is it the fact that you have guns that are in the hands of reckless, irresponsible people who think nothing of stealing cars, fleeing from the cops, firing at police officers or firing at other people? I mean, is it really the availability of guns or is it the fact that there is a class of criminal that is taking over the streets in Milwaukee? and essentially making it unsafe for anyone to be out on those streets. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I grew up around here. So, I mean, I've seen some of the changes in the community. And I take no pleasure in saying this, but I am telling you, there are huge sections of this area that there is no way in God's green earth that I would drive down. And I don't care whether it's one o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the afternoon, whether it is the reckless driving, whether it is the indiscriminate shooting, whether it is the people that have the impulses of fruit flies that decide that, hey, we're gonna open fire on police officers or we're going to run because we're driving the stolen cars or whatever. I, I'm you're you're at a point here. I we are I would have said maybe a year ago, that we were at a tipping point. I I think we're actually past that tipping point. And from a perspective of crime, I think that you really are in a situation where it's getting to a point where decent people really have to rethink about where they're going to drive in the city and um, when they're going to drive in, in the city. And to me, it's not the availability of guns per se. It's the fact that you have... People who have no regard for the law, no regard for anybody else's safety, who end up getting guns and being willing to use them. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, how much more of this has to go on? How many more police officers have to get shot? How many more innocent victims have to get run down by people fleeing the cops? How many more people sitting on the streets have to be murdered before Tom Barrett? members of the common council members of the fire and police commission before they wake up and recognize that you know they're losing the battle on public safety which means you lose all the other battles great you put in the trolley that runs from the bus depot down to the Kotor. okay that that that's great except what's going to happen if you've got high-speed chases along that route and shootings we discuss in just a moment
0: jeff wagner on wtmj
1: Okay. Here, here is my incredibly stupid text of the day. All right, Jeff. The rise in shootings is due in large part to the failed economy and high unemployment, especially among minorities. Okay, so so that's why that, that that's the that's the rise in shootings. That's why you know people are getting murdered at three o'clock in the morning outside of bars. That's why. 18-year-olds driving stolen cars decide to run from the police. That's why people flee from the police and decide that they're going to fire shots at them because of a failed economy? I mean, okay, here's the reality. This economy, as far as employment, was up until March This economy was booming. I mean, I don't, I you know, I I don't want to get into the the Trump versus Obama thing about who gets credit for it. But by all stretches of the imagination, this economy was roaring until March. But that's that's not even the point. Let's not be insulting. That this idea that the reason people are going out and firing on police and shooting up and killing each other, oh, it's because of the failed economy. Give me a break. Take some responsibility and recognize that we are raising generations of people that. that just just have no respect for anybody or anything. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on WTMJ.
3: Uh, Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Vincent. Uh, You're exactly right. Uh, This is about a group of individuals who do not respect or care about their own life, who do not care about uh, uh, individual lives that are in in this city or, or around this city. Uh, the fact is, is that uh, the issue is, is that these individuals have access to guns, illegal guns, yep. and then when they're caught, they're not being held accountable. Yes, the first thing that goes is the gun charge. Right. You know when they're brought in, and the gun charge is dropped. The fact is, is that the city has the responsibility. I'm talking about the alderman, the mayor, has the responsibility to protect the citizenry, and they have to, and they have to go after the courts. They have yep. to say, listen, when we bring individuals in. and 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 with these heinous crimes they need to be convicted And and, and we need to get them off the street. Yeah, Vincent, wouldn't it be? As long as we don't have that happening, the fact is this thing continues and it continues to rise.
1: Wouldn't it be interesting, Vincent, just once to have somebody like Tom Barrett or somebody on the Common Council that would use their bully pulpit and start calling out judges and and just looking at, okay, this is what this guy did. And and look at this, and shot at police officers, and and this was the sentence, six months, or, or whatever it would be. Wouldn't it just be interesting once in a while to see? that happen but of course it 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 doesn't we we don't want to do that we don't want to offend certain constituencies and meanwhile i mean it's like nero fiddling while rome burns
3: exactly and certainly the state has some things that they can do but the city has to get this that the city the mayor uh, 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 the mayor and 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 the uh con- and, and excuse me and the uh, common council members have to try to get this city under control, and they can pass laws they can pass gun laws they they, they I know back in the eighties when they passed the 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 the, the uh, cracker thing that right. they the defense against crack. And so the fact is they can pass strenuous gu- gun laws in the cities and, and they can go out and hold the courts accountable when they began to catch and release these individuals back out in the, in, on these streets.
1: Exactly. No, no, thanks for the call. And you're right when you say, OK, there's when you say, OK, there's an availability of guns. Yeah, I, right. But but it's. The the guns are the tools the the problem is is the criminals who are willing to use it and who aren't held accountable. All right. So here's another one of the texts um, that says, "Okay. all right. So, you know, you're the crime expert. What is what is your solution? Well, I've got it. I mean, here's here's where you start. First of all. You don't cut the police force. You want to talk about one of the stupidest ideas around, that at a time when you have the homicide rate that is spiraling. Yeah, let's... Let's reduce the police force by 10 or 20 percent. That is what that I will tell you something. If that idea were any dumber, it would wink. And that is with apologies to our our barnyard friends. But so that's the approach, because we want to be politically correct here. So what we're going to do is we're going to put fewer cops out on the streets. OK, so, yes, number one, I would increase the number of police officers that were there. Number two, if I were an elected official, I would be using my bully pulpit like Vincent and I we're talking about, to call out and, and make a point of looking at these different cases. And, and let's see what happens. Let's follow these cases through the court system. And my guess is you would be shocked. Wouldn't it be interesting if Tom Barrett you know, would, would call a press conference every Thursday, 15 minutes of we're going to give you updates on criminal cases and you follow what's going on in the court system and the charging decisions and the results and the people being put out on bail to commit crimes over and over again. Now, they're not going to do that because the politicians out there, they don't care. Well, that's hard to say. It's not that they don't care. They don't want people dying on their streets, but they don't want to offend some of their constituencies because the, the way to deal with this at least at the time, you know you've got the stolen cars and the fleeing from police. That's by aggressive law enforcement, and it's by prosecutions, and it's things like that. And they don't want to come out and do that. And instead, you're willing to accept a situation where, candidly, I mean, you 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 drive down Capitol Drive any time of day or night. You take your life into your own hands. Oh, how dare he say that? Well, just look at. I mean, it seems like one story after another. It's shootings, it's high-speed chases, and that's just Capitol Drive. You start to move further into the city, and uh, again, maybe not the downtown area, but the guy who was murdered at 3 o'clock in the morning, that was a third ward bar he was coming out of, this idea that you this idea that we have crime under control, and of course crime is of course spreading. It's still it's, it's amazing to me that it's now been, you know, going on 10 days the former county executive of Milwaukee, Chris Abley, gets carjacked by a bunch of yahoos he's driving us down Capitol Drive in Shorewood people run him off the road, get out at gunpoint, and thankfully he was not hurt. It's an amusing story because the idiots didn't know how to drive his BMW, but then they shoot it. But that that could have had a very, very bad ending. And, of course, once people do it, they, they still haven't caught the guys that did that, even though my guess is there's people who know who it was that tried to carjack the um, former county executive. It shows just how difficult this entire situation is. But if Chris Abley is not safe driving in Shorewood at seven o'clock on a Sunday night. Well, what, what does that say about anybody else driving on Capitol Drive or, you know, on, on North Avenue or on any of the other major east-west streets in the city of Milwaukee? And the answer is between people fleeing from you or the cops driving stolen cars at high rates of speed, pulling out guns, being able to shoot indiscriminately. These people the other night, that the two officers get out of the car and they open fire on the cops. Seriously, they open fire on the police when they get out of the car. What do you want to bet that these people do any time at all? But this is the bottom line here. It's getting worse. And I've been talking about this for all the years I've been on the radio. But it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And you have people who just don't want to confront the problem, which is that you have a criminal element that needs to be removed from society, at least for a while, with the hope that maybe they can become rehabilitated. But we don't want to deal with that. We just want to say, oh, gosh, there's we need help from Madison because we need more gun laws. Well, okay, the the people that opened fire on the cops the other night after, you know, they were driving the car and tried to flee my guess is, off the top of my head, if you sit me down with the Wisconsin statute book, I can probably find you five or ten different laws that they violated, but this idea, this answer that, oh, we need tougher laws, I'm not against tougher laws, but that's not the solution. And, I guess, this is this ongoing frustration that that's out there. And, and by the way, you know, these things that I'm talking about, this is just a fraction of, of the shootings. You've gotten to a point in this community where Unless somebody is murdered, or unless it is a shooting by a 15-year-old in a shopping mall at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Or it's a situation where you have people who um, are firing at the police. Just the average carnage that goes on on the street on a daily basis, that doesn't make the TV news. That doesn't make the newspapers. And I understand. I'm not criticizing them. It's just like there's so much of this that's going on. Jeff, the shootings that we hear about in the news are only the tip of the iceberg. I know someone who is a city of Milwaukee police officer. His phone alerts every few minutes to um, the shot tracker. Shot tracker was installed many years ago, and we never hear about the actual numbers of shootings that are occurring in the city. It's no wonder police officers are anxious when they go on calls. They never know who has a gun. Um, yeah, Jeff, Milwaukee, let's see. Milwaukee is a small Chicago. Um, you know, Tom Barrett says Milwaukee is safe. Well, maybe Barrett's Milwaukee is safe. And when you go around with, again, a security force, chances are it is going to be safer. Tell that to the people that are driving up and down Capitol Drive, though, or North Avenue or anywhere else. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live
0: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff
1: Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. If you are looking for a film to watch or a a book to read or reread, I would highly, highly, highly recommend the movie and the book called The Right Stuff. Matter of fact, I... I I watched the movie about a month ago and it inspired me I actually bought the the book again and I, cuz I I'd read it years and years ago but um it it's if you haven't seen it it's uh, the story of the beginning of America's space program, and the, the the star of this is is Chuck Yeager, who, and the reason I bring this up, if you haven't noticed, tr- Chuck Yeager was a true American hero. He passed away the other day at the age of 97, and, and I, I know that there are generations of Americans who don't know who Chuck Yeager was, and it's just... It's just—it's one of these things about how quickly we forget. Um, Chuck Yeager was was an aviator, and he was a, a captain in in World War II, and he flew all sorts of missions, et cetera. Et cetera. So, I mean, he he was a highly decorated war hero. After. After the war, he ended up in he was he ended up as, as a test pilot, and he was out at what what later became um, Edwards Air Force Base a, in California. And, and what he would do is, Jaeger was part of these the initial round of people who were responsible for you know pioneering aircraft. and In 1947, he was the first guy to break the sound barrier. And as a matter of fact, if you watch the movie The Right Stuff, or if you read about in the book, they they have great descriptions of this. But back then, nobody thought that you could fly a plane faster than the speed of sound. It, it was just it was one of these things that was thought to be impossible, like you, you can't send a man to the moon or anything like that. But but Yeager did it, and he was this superstar pilot. And the the thing with the these test pilots and all things like that is the. The the longevity on this was was not great because you're you want to talk about something that was incredibly dangerous. Well, well, this was it because you're flying these experimental aircraft and you're trying to see how fast they can end up going. And and Chuck Yeager was was the true superstar of. Of that with his with the different flights that he had well then what ended up happening is you you had the American space program that that started and the calls for the astronauts and and things like that you know you had the mercury program well um, Yeager wasn't invited to participate in that even though he was probably the the lead forget probably he was the leading test pilot but he was I think perceived as too old for this. I think he was perceived as maybe too opinionated and, and all those sort of things and so he got passed over and then you had the the first round of um, of pilots like Deke Slayton and Gus Grissom and Gordon Cooper and then John Glenn and things like that. And, and they became like the astronauts. And then America kind of focused all its attention on the, the, the space program and the race when John Kennedy in the you know, sixty made the challenge that we're going to get a man to the moon by the end of the decade and all that. And so America, in some respects, forgot about Chuck Yeager. And, and all the things that he had done and we had fo- we focused our attention on uh, again the space program and stuff like that but um you know Chuck Yeager uh who really was well the thing i'm looking at in the wall street journal today talks about him as being the pioneer of supersonic flight you know passed away at the age of 97 i, I don't know if there would have <sighs> I don't know if the space program would have accomplished what it did as quickly as it did if there wasn't a Chuck Yeager. I mean, he was a true, true American hero and a true American character as well. And so I, I just I wanted to devote just one segment of this program to that. And again, if you're. If you're of a certain age and you're listening to me, you have, I understand, you have no idea who Chuck Yeager is or why this guy on the radio is talking about some 97 year old pilot from World War II and beyond who passed away. Well, I, I'm talking about him because he was a significant contributor to uh, American history and guys like Chuck Yeager don't, don't deserve to be forgotten. And if you haven't seen the movie, The Right Stuff, I encourage you to do it. And I also, it, it, it would probably motivate you like me to go pick up another copy of it and and to read it. It's a it's a great read. I remember in the very beginning of the book it it talks about like in World War II you'd have these pilots that would land on 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 the carriers, you know, they'd land on the ships and it's got this incredible description of what it's like and now, they, of course, again, they keep in mind, this is the early 19, this is 1943 or whatever. What it's like to be flying in the middle of an ocean and to land a plane. On what is essentially a giant, a, a big piece of concrete that is floating in the in the ocean, and it's got this just incredible description of, of what this is is like and what it must have been like for these pilots to do that on a regular basis. It's just it, it's an it's an amazing book. Like I can't recommend enough. It's a great movie that I can't recommend enough. And as a tribute to a true American hero, Chuck Yeager, um, it, it's if you come across it. Uh, it's, it's worth two and a half hours or three hours of your time. No question about it. Okay, when we come back, would you share your information? I will explain. We will discuss. Welcome back to
0: Jeff Wagner
1: on WTMJ. All right. The vaccine rollouts will be starting soon in the United Kingdom. They are already going on. So here's... Here's the deal. Now I've already said this. I um, when when my turn comes up to get vaccinated, unless my governor, unless my governor, unless my doctor tells me, Jeff, I don't think you should do it, and he's not going to tell me that, um, I'm 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 going to do it. Now I'm I'm not in the high risk group, so I mean I'm I'm going to be down the ways a little bit, but I'm going to get the vaccine because I, I get vax I get vaccines, never had an adverse reaction, and to me it it makes sense. All right. Well, here's an interesting twist to this, and this is the way The New York Times reports it. The headline on the story says CDC call for data on vaccine recipients raises alarm over privacy. The Trump administration is requiring states to submit personal information of people vaccinated against COVID-19, including names, birth dates, ethnicities and addresses raising alarms among some state officials who fear that a federal vaccine registry could be misused. The CDC is telling states to sign what are called data use agreements that commit them for the first time to sharing personal information in existing registries with the federal government. The CDC says the information's not going to be shared with other federal agencies, but we need to know who is getting the shots. That, that's essentially what they're saying, and they say we want to know because there, there's multiple reasons. First of all, it's it's multiple shots. Keep in mind, you you got to get you get vaccinated once, and then what is it, thirty days or sixty days or ninety days, whatever it is. Later, you got to go back and get a second shot. So the CDC says we need to know, for example, who in Wisconsin has gotten the shot because we need to ensure that if they move across state lines, that that they've gotten their follow up. Secondly, these these vaccines are new. And and we want to track adverse reactions and we want to address safety issues. You know, and and we need the information of who it was that got the shots. And then they say also, um we we want to we want to make sure that these vaccinations are effective. And one of the big challenges is going to be uh is, is it is the vaccine they want to look at different demographic groups. And does, is the effectiveness rate different for a 60 year old a black male than it is for a 30 year old, uh, Latino female versus a, a 45 year old white guy. I mean, th- those are all the things that they want to study. So they say, we need this information. So, you know, we don't want your, so- we don't want people's social security numbers and we don't want people's driver's license numbers. But yeah, if, if you, you get vaccinated, we, being the federal government, we want You know, we want this background information. We want to know your name. We want to know your birth date. We want to know your address because we want to be able to track, you know, what's going on after you get the shot. Well, Andrew Cuomo, the outspoken governor of New York, he says this is a terrible idea because it could dissuade undocumented people for participating because people will be afraid that we're going to give this information to ICE. All right, let's open up the phone lines. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I I guess, look, I, I, I appreciate that you've got Big Brother out there, and I appreciate concerns about privacy, but it seems to me that this this is something that makes eminent sense, we are dealing with a pandemic. We are dealing with a new vaccine. I don't know about you, but I, I don't I don't have a problem. You know, if I go and I get the vaccination, I don't have a problem with my health care provider or the state of Wisconsin. that's going to get the information. I don't have a problem with them sharing with the CDC the fact that I got a shot, just like if you get if you come down with COVID, you're going to be called by a, a contact tracer from either your local community or or from the state. I mean, there there is a reason for this, and I mean, again, I appreciate, I guess, in theory, the oh, we're, you know, there's a potential for this to be abused, but it seems to me that this makes eminent sense. What they're looking for, we want to track who got the shot. We want to track. If there was adverse reactions, we want to track if there was a problem with effectiveness that maybe this is working really well for the 45-year-old white guy, but it's not working so well for the 60-year-old uh, black male. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you have a problem with with the state essentially sharing, if you get a vaccination, sharing the fact with the CDC that you got it, your, your name, your address, your birth date? and your ethnicity. Marcus on the north side. Hi, Marcus, you're in WTMJ.
2: Hey, excellent subject, uh, Jeff, as usual. Good to talk to you. My my two points is this real fast, is that, so how will you handle individuals that uh, do not have a home address that that are essentially people that live on the street? And so those individuals may want to get vaccinated and want to uh, have that situation taken care of. And you're already going to have the stigma in the black community, which is going to be a big problem with this rollout. Stating that, okay, you got to give all this information, and then we can give you this double dose of this vaccine. I tell you what, right now, I'm just telling you from the front lines of of this ethnicity, as far as being black, you're going to. You think you got problems now with people? First of all, the the vaccine is kind of skeptical as it is as Mm -hmm. it's being rolled out. But now you're saying that there's a paperwork trail. I got to do this, this, and this, and then that information is not going to be shared. There's enough info, uh, information out there already. So, you're but,
1: but but why, why do you care? I mean, but Marcus, deal. let me ask you this: why, why, I mean, why? Why do you, why do you care? Like, like you see, there's, there's a paperwork trail. You get the vaccination. Your doctor's going to know it. The state is going to know it. Why do you care if the Center for Disease Control also knows it? It's not your social security number. It's not your driver's license. It's just that Marcus, you know, date of birth, you know, what, whatever, January 1st, whatever, got, got this shot. So they can, if there's an adverse reaction, they can track it. I guess I don't understand why people would be reluctant to have that information out there.
2: Well, the problem is this, is that if, when you, when they did their studies, first of all, I've been doing my homework on this, Jeff. Mm-hmm. First of all, how many African-American males and women did they do this study on, and pregnant uh, uh, people that uh, of color that right. they do this study on? But isn't that
1: uh, so, all the so more reason vaccinated. for wanting to track that? I, I, I agree, because... I, isn't it all the more reason for wanting to track to make sure that when they say there is a ninety-four percent effectiveness, that that effectiveness is is the same for the sixty-year-old black male as it is for the thirty-year-old Latin female? I mean, I, I guess that would be another reason in my mind for justifying why you'd want the federal government tracking the success of the vaccinations.
2: I think that you're you're going to have major pushback. And I'm in the group with yourself is that I'm not looking to take this uh, vaccination until next year sometime uh, once everything is done. And so let's say the fall of next year, then you're going to have more clinical results. Mm -hmm. Remember this emergency uh, authorization by the FDA, which is the truth. It's just a partial. It does not mean that all of these studies have been completed at this point. So now you're going to have further pushback from people of color and people that are walking the streets saying, would you want me to do this? And yeah. I got to provide this information or who don't have that. But I'm telling you, you're going to have major problems with that.
1: Well, Bob? maybe that's a call call. I don't I mean that the the homeless segment, I th- that to me is kind of like the unicorns. Uh, but but I mean, yes, you're right. Among people of color who are suspicious of these type of things, it, it's going to be more of a push to get people vaccinated. I, I understand that. But I guess I, I don't. I, I, to me, this is just something that, that makes sense because you're trying to track the effectiveness. And I guess I'm not convinced that I mean, OK, so if, if you're a person that decides that you're going to get the vaccination, your, your medical provider is going to know it. They're going to track you. The state is going to know it. they're going to track you. So is it really the fact that they share that information with the CDC? Is that going to mean people that are suddenly going to say, OK, I'm not going to get it. Eh, that's where I'm having problems. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ in jeff what do you think
2: i think that we need all the information we can get for the benefit of everybody you know certain segments of those communities of color would be the first to complain if they were excluded or there was insufficient data um, when vaccinations were given so i think that we need to err on the side of including everybody and all the information we can for the benefit of everybody
1: right Uh, and again and that's I mean, it's not like it's social security numbers, even though the federal government has your social security number. It's not like it's driver's license, even though the state has all that information. It's just clinical data. So the CDC can figure out, is this is this effective or not? And I, I would think I, I would want to know that. If for some reason, I don't know, it turns out that for, you know, middle-aged white guys, for example, the effectiveness rate isn't what it is for 60-year-old black man. You, you'd want to know that, I think. We've got to get but all the information.
2: After,
1: right. Yes. Yeah. The more exa- information, the better. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for calling. And, again, I, I guess I just don't see this as being a substantial invasion in the real world, a substantial invasion of people's privacy. Now, I, I, you know, Cuomo... Cuomo is politically motivated. Every time he opens his mouth, there's a political purpose to it. So his thing is, well, okay, maybe this is just another way to get information to to ICE, you know, about people who are undocumented. They say they're not going to do it. My guess is ICE has much bigger problems than to use the vaccination data to do it. And and to me, it's an educational campaign. Just tell people this is what the information is going to be used for. But by the way, you know, if you don't want to get this, if you don't want to get COVID, here. Get yourself vaccinated. Back with more in just a minute. This
0: is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Every once in a while, I make these errors out of, of omission because I and I always catch myself because I assume certain things. For example, I, I grew up here. So whenever we talk about Northridge. I just I kind of always make the assumption that everybody knows what I'm talking about. Northridge Shopping Center was this incredibly popular shopping center in the late 70s and 80s and early 90s that just because of all sorts of problems ended up circling the drain, and now it's, it's this blighted area on, on Brown Deer Road between like 76th Street and, and 94th. And I always use Northridge as an example of, of how fragile shopping centers are. But I always have to catch myself. Because inevitably, when I start talking about that, I just assume that everybody knows what I'm talking about. And I I know for some people it's annoying. Oh, he's going through his background of what Northridge was. But I do it because if I don't, there will be people who moved into this area, you know, if you're below a certain age. You know, you, you, you have no idea. You, you didn't do like I did. You didn't go to Northridge on Saturdays. Or if you are you know, you, you moved here in, in 2000. Well, there hasn't been a Northridge for the last 20 years. So you have to back that up. So occasionally it's this omission. I just forget things. And, and I'm getting a number of texts about what I said about Chuck Yeager. Now, grew producing the show today and always. When, when I, Are you familiar with the movie The Right Stuff? No, not the movie. Not the movie. Are you familiar with the book? Not the book either, no. but I knew who Chuck Yeager was. No, no, right, exactly. But the, I mean, the the and and I just during the break, I was kind of I'd fallen behind in all the text message we had come in, and I probably had a dozen text messages from people saying, "What's that book you just recommended?" or "Or what's the movie?" and and I guess it's just I mean, the book, the right stuff, was written. Um, it was a written by by Tom Wolfe. 1979, and the movie came out in, in 1983, and it was a huge hit. But, but it is, it's like 79, okay, that's 41 years ago. I, I got it. And, you know, in the movie, 37 years ago. So, it, it's one of these things. It was a huge success, and it was a big movie, and, you know, in the 70s and 80s, chances are you, if you didn't read the book, chances are you saw the movie. But, um, I kind of omitted the fact that there, there's lots of people who probably didn't. I highly recommend this. It, it's a, it's a great movie, and it it takes it takes us through the 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 test pilots and breaking the sound barrier, and then up through the the start of the, the space program. Um, and so, it, it's it's an incredibly good read, and it's an incredibly good movie. So, if you haven't read the book or you haven't seen the movie, it's called the Right Stuff. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. But it's um, again, I, I read the book. I read the book. Probably a year or two after it came out, and I just kind of always, as I've always said, I I will go back. I like every every four books I read, I will say three of them are books that I haven't read yet, and then the fourth one will be a book that I I read maybe in high school or maybe what at college or in law school or something like that, and I'll go back and, and read it. Maybe Hemingway stuff or Steinbeck stuff or you know some of the the, the great books and all things that I'd, I'd forgotten about. So I try to do that, and um, I just. Again, I ordered The Right Stuff. I haven't started it to reread, but it's it's in the pile. It's definitely there. So for people who are wondering, what's that book he's talking about? The Right Stuff by Thomas Wolfe, by Tom Wolfe, and uh, the movie is in 1983. Okay, people are handling the ongoing pandemic in, in different ways. And I, I don't I don't want to talk about masks. That's not the, the purpose of this. And I understand that we're very divided. And some people think you don't wear masks. And some people don't wear masks correctly. And other people who wear masks get COVID. So there, that, there's that whole thing that's out there. But one of the big things that's starting to divide people is the decision to go out. And by that, I mean, go out to restaurants. Some, I know that there are some people who have made the decision that until we get a handle on, on COVID, that they're they're not leaving their house. And, or if they're leaving their house, it's only for the bare necessities. And then there's some people who just, uh, it's like, like the COVID deniers and it's like the Wild West and we're gonna do anything. And then there's people that are in between. And that's one of the things that comes when it comes to restaurants. Now, in some areas, like like California right now, essentially, sit down dining is prohibited. All right, but in other areas, it's it's not. There may be capacity limitations that are put into place. There may be, you know, requirements of what the restaurants have to do. But there are, there are places where you can go if you want. And if you feel comfortable, you can go and you can sit down and you can have a meal inside. Now, there's a story in the Chicago Tribune that caught my attention. And it's, it's written by, and the author says, um, that th- there's a coworker of his and I'm quoting now from the story, who's mostly used curbside grocery delivery, ordered plenty of restaurant takeout meals in an attempt to help the businesses. But he says um, he goes to pick up some food last week from his favorite restaurant. He's mad when he looks inside and sees that the place is now offering indoor dining. In other words, that there are people that are actually in there that are sitting and, and eating. And even though... It's allowed by the government, even though that it's not in a violation of the rules, even though it's, you know, at whatever the capacity limitations are, there are still people who are sitting in the restaurant. And the reality is when you're in the restaurant, you're 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 not wearing your masks. You wear your mask when you come in, when you get to your table. But once you're at your table, you know, you're sitting there and you, you take off your masks. And maybe you're eating with uh, perhaps another comf- couple that you feel comfortable with. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right, so the guy says his coworker gets mad when he sees people making the decision to eat in restaurants because even though it's allowed, he believes that that is just totally irresponsible. 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. What do you think? Do you think... People going out, and again, I'm not talking about we're going to take the 300 people and we're going to pile them all shoulder to shoulder and listen to some band in some crowded bar room. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the setup where the restaurant, not in violation of any of the local health rules, has opened up, and maybe it's 25% capacity, maybe it's 50% capacity, but they're following the rules. All right the people who are making the decision to eat inside at those restaurants, do you think that they are being irresponsible? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is, as a general rule, probably not. And and it wouldn't occur to me to look down on somebody who'd made the decision that they want to, again, as long as the restaurant's following the rules, if people wanna go and sit and sit in that restaurant and they feel comfortable doing it, I don't think it's my position to judge them. Again, as long as the health department says it's okay to be open, state rules say it's okay to be open. If people feel comfortable doing that, that's okay. For all I know, those people that are sitting in the restaurant have had COVID and they can't get it again, at least for the foreseeable future. 855-616-1620. Should we shame people who are going and sitting in and eating inside restaurants? My answer would be no. What do you think?
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I'm not talking about, okay, you're, you're going to this, the, this giant party where people aren't observing social distancing and things like that. I mean, I'm talking about the restaurant which is allowed to be open by the, the local rules, that's operating at a capacity limit, whatever the local rules are. I mean, do you look down your nose on people who decide that they're gonna go and sit inside? Let's start with Cindy in Brookfield. Cindy, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Cindy, what do you think?
4: Um, I think, and I don't know if um, you got this part, but I am a registered dietitian, and I'm also a food service director. So I, work, I happen to work in a school district, but we follow a lot of the same guidelines as the restaurants do. And the health and sanitation inspectors are doing a fantastic job of making sure that the restaurants that are open and limit their capacity are following the rules. And we are some of the safest people we have to be mm-hmm. and so you know we're asking properly we do we probably have been washing our hands and doing all of the things that we're asking everybody
1: to do we always had to do that well you but know
4: you it, we're doing
1: that no. yeah you know it's it's interesting sydney because cindy because you know we during the summer you know my wife and i would would go out but we were generally outside we'd go to places that had patio dining now we've started going to restaurants but but even so we're we're very careful about which ones we go to. I mean, we we have, if I were to walk into a restaurant and I would find it to be packed and overcrowded and you're on top of people, well, I'd turn around and go back. The places we're going to, they've pulled out tables. I mean, you're spaced out. I guess I I feel comfortable doing that. Actually, I feel perhaps more at risk going into some big box retailer or something. So, as long as they're following the rules and I'm willing to take that risk, I don't think I should be shamed for doing that. Now, if the government were some clothes down. That's different. But if not, I, you know, and I'm comfortable with it. I think that's my call.
4: Exactly. And when you look at when you go to a grocery store and you're still able to pick your own apples or pick your own onions, and you know, I don't know what's happening. Are are you good at washing everything when you take it home? Yeah. So in a restaurant. I can guarantee we've
1: we've taken care of that. Yeah, you know, C- yeah, you're, C- getting good. No.
4: you're getting safe
1: food, right? Well, Cindy, thank, thanks for the call. Now, I, again, I think that that not all restaurants are necessarily the, the same, and you know, again, there there's some that probably follow the rules closer to others, and then, like I say, if if I were to walk into a place and, and I go, oh, there, this is this is this is not spacing, people are on top of each other, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm going to turn around and I'm I'm going to walk out. But, uh, again, if I go into a place that – in the places I've been going or places that I regularly patronize, and I don't want these places going out of business. I I just – I flat out don't. Now, in addition, uh, my situation is a little bit different. If I were – 20 years older and in one of the higher risk categories, I, I I, understand. I have some friends who haven't been in a restaurant since this all broke out because the, for their individual situations, they they just don't want to take any chance at all that they might get this, and I respect that. But but for people who are otherwise healthy, now nobody wants to get it, but it's kind of like that, that balancing that's out there. And, and candidly, like I say, I, I would feel – I, I think that you go into – there's other public places that I've gone into that I feel more uncomfortable than some of these restaurants. And I don't – I mean, I don't want to be irresponsible, but I don't want to see these restaurants close either. I, I just don't. Uh, Bruce in Madison. Bruce, you on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you yeah, think?
2: Yeah, um, that, wh- that happened to me just the other night where I walked uh, – had takeout at a famous restaurant downtown called the Old Fashioned here
0: mm-hmm.
2: in Madison – uh, walked in, um, everybody was socially distanced. The tables were way more than six feet apart, and they had a separate table for just to carry out, um, you know, stationed with your name on it and your number on it. Um, so I felt, I felt very, very comfortable. Uh, and I'm in the older category. I'm 65. Mm-hmm. So I um, didn't feel at all uh, violated, didn't feel at all in any way um, unsafe. Yeah. And like you, I mean, I went to Costco about three or four weeks ago and, you know, I didn't feel safe there.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's Uh, it. it, it, And again, it's going to be different. And I'm getting a couple of texts. Well, you should see this particular bar or this and they're not doing anything like that. Well, okay, that that's a situation where. Okay, then maybe you, you walk into the place and if it looks like it's, you know, one of these super spreader type of events, well, th- then my advice is, okay, you turn around and you walk out. But again, if, if you go into a place where... All right, there's a lot of space, and it's spread out in the table. They've taken out half the tables, and you're comfortable. I'm not going to look down my nose at you making that decision. Uh, here's some text, Jeff. If the restaurant is in compliance and you want to go out, go out. If you want to stay home, um, you know, stay home. Jeff, my wife and I have both had the virus, and we feel it's our duty to go out and patronize places since we feel like we are fairly safe yeah that that's i mean that's the other thing for people who want to be judgmental you walk by the windows and you see a couple that's sitting in a restaurant you don't know their circumstance and maybe maybe they've had it maybe they've got the the immunity at least for 90 days or whatever jeff i feel so bad for these restaurants all of them this pandemic has been very hard on them that's one of the reasons why we we eat at home a lot but we we do go out from time to time we pick where we're going to go and um candidly if you want our if you're a server, you want our table because I, I, I tend to, I tend to way over tip because I know how difficult this has been, and I feel so bad for the servers who are used to you know maybe handling forty or fifty people in a night, and just because either people aren't going out or whatever, they're they're handling you know half that or or less i mean i and I, I don't want these places closing i i just don't jeff i'm young and like many of my peers i have been patronizing restaurants since the safer at home order expired left and right i'm seeing local residents resi- restaurants go out of business and out of many restaurant owners workers i've spoken with um my business alone is not enough i understand why people might not want to go out anymore but i'm of the mindset that these restaurants were here before the pandemic and i would like to be them here afterwards. Jeff, what about the people working at the restaurants? I feel that eating inside a restaurant right now is needlessly putting the staff at risk. Also, you can enjoy yourself for an hour. Uh, these workers have no choice but be around unmasked eaters. What can you do? Why can't you do takeout? Well, okay, here, here's part of the thing. Restaurants. There's a lot of restaurants that haven't been able to make it just on takeout. That, that's, just, that, that's just the reality. And first of all, if it's just takeout, that then, in general, most of the servers are laid off. Most of the servers have lost their job if it's just takeout. If you look at restaurants, where do restaurants make a lot of their money? Well, they make it on bar sales. Well, if you're doing takeout, bar sales, as a general rule, are nothing. Just just nothing. So that's why so many restaurants have just said we, we can't make it on takeout. So yeah, I, I I understand. If you're a server and you're uncomfortable being in that environment where you're going to have the, the people that are aren't wearing masks as they're sitting down, well you're you're in a it's a bad dilemma because it's like, okay, do you go into work or do you make the decision that you're gonna quit your job? But still I think that you have to, you know, go through that. Um Let's see, um, Jeff. I just uh, left um, a particular location downtown. Even though I'm not hungry, I'm bringing food for a friend, and I over-tipped uh, takeout because I feel bad for these different restaurants. Um, yeah, I, I think you know you've you've got that whole issue that's there, Jeff. I support my favorite restaurants during this time and the people working there, and I dine in. Strange situation, shaming people for helping a legally local, open local business. Where will it end? And yes, Um, yeah, I think that's one of the real factors that's out there. Jeff, I will go. There is a choice as long as they are complying with the rules. If you don't feel safe in a restaurant, don't go and get carry Um Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Jeff, I'm comfortable eating in, and I've done it. The restaurants I've been to have been spaced out well and followed strict sanitation rules. I think we need to allow autonomy and normalcy as much as possible. If business owners are following local rules, there's no reason to thwart their ability to make a living. I agree. And if you feel uncomfortable... Going out, well, well, then, don't, Jeff. I manage a restaurant in West Dallas. We are blessed, and our carryout has been so busy that we were able to give all our dining room employees jobs in the kitchen, and and that is absolutely outstanding. That's not the case in a lot of places, though. Bottom line is there's a lot of virtue signaling and there's a lot of shaming that goes on. I I think for me, if you feel comfortable dining in a restaurant, if the local rules allow you to do it and the restaurant is following the rules and you feel comfortable, I, I, I wouldn't hesitate to do it. But that's me.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, launching into this. I'm willing to acknowledge that many of you will disagree with what I'm about to say, but that that's okay. That is the spirit of discussions. It should go without saying, I am not a fan of Governor Tony Evers. I know some of you, you are. I, I, I am not. I think his... Um, Approach, for example, to the pandemic has been incredibly ham handed from the beginning. And the idea that, Oh, I'm I'm now going to blame the state Supreme court for the situation we're in with the COVID numbers, I think is um, inaccurate and unfair. And, but, but that's it. I understand some people love the way that the deavers has treated uh, the, the COVID thing. And, but for the evil Republicans, we wouldn't have a problem. Well, okay. In any event, but this is a situation where, and you can mark the tape, I, I would not do what the what a couple Republicans have done. All right, the the Capitol rotunda has been. The scene for well, remember during the Walker administration, you, you had like the the sol- what do they call themselves the solidarity singers this this group of people who really had nothing to do with themselves who would show up at lunchtime and, and sing songs and and they did it at the height of Act Ten and then they they just continued doing it and doing it and doing it and in some cases they were very disruptive when it came to groups touring the Capitol but but anyhow it made them feel better and it was determined that they had the right to do it, and, and that's okay. Normally, in the state capitol, around the holiday time, they put up a giant Christmas tree. Now, I, I want to be clear here, Governor Evers doesn't want to offend people, so he refuses to call it a Christmas tree. Instead, he calls it a holiday tree, but but it's a Christmas tree, regardless of what you know, Tony Evers wants to say about it. It's, it's a Christmas tree. This year, because the capital, Is closed to visitors they decided they were not going to put up the Christmas tree the holiday tree whatever it it was not going to be decorated because it's not open to the public so along come a couple Republican lawmakers who say um, all right what we want to do is we want to put up a quote-unquote holiday uh, we want to put up a an historical display in the Capitol Rotunda from December 1st through January 6th. Now, the application didn't specify that what they wanted to put up was a Christmas tree. So they want to, and it, this isn't like a giant Christmas tree, but they want to put up a, a Christmas tree. Well, what happens is it was it was denied. I mean, the, the governor essentially, and the governor controls how this all happens, They they, they denied it. And they said, state law prohibits the Department of administration from permitting exhibits on the rotunda's ground floor and um et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on to say that the building is is closed to the public, so no and And actually, you know technically that those rules are probably right the way I, I look at it now you you can raise the question about if this was. Some other group that was trying to put up some other display, would the rules have been as strictly enforced? But that that's a question for another day. I think technically the rules are such that, you know, they have the right to deny the permit to put this up. So what happens is, week and a half ago, these lawmakers go and they put the tree up anyway, and they put it up before they had received a decision one way or another on the request. And so they've got the seven foot artificial Christmas tree that's up in the Capitol Rotunda. Uh the sign this tree has some ornaments on it, the tree has some beads on it. Uh the tree has signs that say the magic of Christmas is not in the presence, but in his presence, with a capital H. This tree belongs to rep- and then the two Republican representatives do not move without prior written approval from these representatives. Um One of the Republicans, state assemblyman, says they want to give people a symbol of hope, said he didn't think they need a permit because the traditional tree has never required one and um, et cetera, et cetera. It says the people of Wisconsin own the building, not the Department of Administration. The tree has never needed a permit until now. All Evers needs to do is let this stand, is let this stand as our choice. And, of course, the, the Capitol is... Is closed. So the way it stands now, at least last time I checked, the tree is still there. Doesn't have a permit for it. It's probably not supposed to be there. The people at the Capitol, the the people in charge of the Capitol, say, you know, Representative, if you wanted to put a Christmas tree in your office, you have every right to do it. But you, you can't put one in the Capitol Rotunda. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Who's right and who's wrong? And in this particular situation, the, the Evers administration and the people at the Capitol are saying the building is closed. We're not allowing displays. We're not going to have the traditional holiday tree. We're not going to have the Christmas tree, whatever you want to call it. it it's closed, so there's going to be nothing. There's not going to be decorating and everything like that, and it, it doesn't qualify for a permit. If the representatives want to put these in their own offices, they have a right to do it. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is why. I think the representatives are wrong. It's not that, believe me, it's not that I have any objections to a Christmas tree being put in the Capitol Rotunda. And I think it is silly in the extreme, for example, that the governor and some of the people in Madison wanna pretend that this Christmas tree is not a Christmas tree, okay? I think that's all silly. But right now the rules are the building is closed, nothing is going up there. And just like over the last several years, I have complained about all the latitude that the protesters during the Walker administration were able to get from the courts for being able to put crap up and disrupt things in the Capitol Rotunda. And just like I think they were wrong in giving them as much leeway as they got, in this particular case, my advice to the legislators, and I have no problem with the Christmas tree, but it's like, look, do, do we want to go down this route? If you, Right now, for this year, the Capitol is closed, so there's not going to be anything up in the rotunda. Because now what happens when you have a couple Democrat members of the state legislature who decide that they're going to come in, and they want to put something else up in there, in this closed building? My response here would be, look, if, if you want to put up a Christmas tree, put it up in your office, or, or put it up, you know, in, in your house or, or whatever. But when you're told you're not supposed to do something, to, to just go ahead and do it, this is a fight that, candidly, I would not want to pick. 855-616-1620. And look, and I have no problem with Christmas trees. Uh, They're Christmas trees. I I get it. I love that big Christmas tree, regardless of what Tony Evers wants to call it. I love the big Christmas tree that they put up in the Capitol every year and decorate for Christmas. But in this particular situation, why are they insisting on putting up a a seven-foot artificial tree when nothing is supposed to be there this year? 855-616-1620. We discuss.
4: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
1: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, my, my perspective on this is you're talking to a guy who, for several years, objected to what the lefty protesters were allowed to do in the Capitol Rotunda as far as putting crap up and disrupting things and all that. So I... I, I They've always taken that position. So now the Capitol's closed, no displays this year. You have two Republican lawmakers who, despite not having a permit and now being told they can't do it, they went and put up a, a seven-foot artificial Christmas tree in in the heart of the Capitol. To me, it's – well, one of our texters says, Jeff, it's nothing but political theater designed to make Evers look anti-Christmas. I, there's an element of truth to that. I guess it's like, look, there, there are there are hills you choose to die on. There are fights that you want to take. If you want to put up a Christmas tree in your office, they're allowed to do it. Put up a Christmas tree in your office. But I, I think, I think, and I'm not anti Christmas tree. Don't don't get me wrong. But this year the building is closed. This is not a fight that I, I think people should be picking. Uh, Dave in Menominee Falls, Dave, you're on WTMJ.
4: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I think it's another deal that, once again, you said Republicans, two of them. If, the, if Evers would have said, we could put a tree up, they would have wanted to go to the courts and say, it's illegal. <laughs> it, why aren't they passing laws to help out the people in the state that are really suffering?
1: Well, I think... They're they, picking on little
4: garbage stuff well, all
1: the time. Well, Dave, I, I think... Um, again, I, I think this is, I mean, the phrase I'm hearing is political theater, and, and I get it. I'm just like, you know, th- this is one, because look, I, I want to be consistent, and, and I want to be, the, the next time the Capitol gets taken over by some of these left-wing protesters like it was, I want to be consistent. I want to argue, you know, if the rules say, no, you can't have that up there, you can't put this up there, I, I want to push to have those rules aggressively enforced. And in this particular case, it, it, this this is not an issue that I think is worth fighting about and by the way if the capital is closed I I have no problems with a Christmas tree, but again, who knows what somebody else, some other state legislature legislator who has access to the Capitol, even if it's closed, who who knows what they're gonna stick in the rotunda. And I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to picture this, okay, so somebody's got this and somebody's got their Festivus poll and, and whatever, and you're just kind of off to the races. Well, in this particular situation, maybe for this year, this is not the battle that you want to fight. And by the way, that does not make me anti-Christmas tree It just makes me think, okay, we we got to get past some of this stuff. Todd in Milwaukee. Todd, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Todd. No means no, whether Democratic, Republican, it doesn't matter. If you want to put a tree up in your office, go for it. You want to attach lights, great. It's great. Do it in your office. If someone tells you no, that means no. It doesn't matter what power you think you have, it's no.
1: Well right I mean th- thanks for calling and again you you know th- to fight over this particular thing at this point in time and 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 I, I know they th- they think it's unfair we should be able to do this I mean I'm just trying to play it out in my head cuz like I say if if they're able to put this up without getting a permit or after the permit's denied, you know somebody's going to come up with the Festivus poll, and then somebody's going to come up with something else, and then you're going to have the capital rotunda that's not open to the public, cluttered up with all sorts of stuff by people who are trying to make political points for whatever. My thinking is, okay, for this particular year, let, let's just leave it empty. And to your point, I mean, no means no. And again, it's not anti-Christmas tree. It's not anti-Christmas. It's just... All right, this is not the fight that I think you want to take. Jeff, as an independent, I think this sticks uh this, this stinks. No doubt the goal is to make Evers appear to be anti Christmas, um hard for a tree the public can't see to be a symbol of of hope. Jeff, the Republican lawmakers certainly aren't in the wrong for wanting to advocate their belief. However, rules are rules. Yes, yeah, see, that's the point that I was making for years when you had the Capitol being invaded and taken over. Rules are rules. Now, unfortunately, some of the courts in Dane County wanted to look the other way on all of that, which I thought was bad, but regardless. Anyways, the texture continues. Rules are rules. It's almost a little ironic that they feel they can ignore them as long as it suits their agenda, the sign telling them not to remove it is them trying to wage a hypothetical war on Christmas. Um, why are we focusing on this and not, um, passing legislation? Jeff, you're right. They're using Christmas tree to get in a fight. How ridiculous the state of politics in Wisconsin has Ben, um, let's see, um, Jeff, if the tree were put up at no cost to the taxpayers, leave it alone. I would believe that in these times, Governor Evers has bigger battles or concerns to deal with. And you are correct. If there were protesters, nothing would be said. Yeah, I I, I understand that. But again, my big concern is if if the policy is nothing's going to be there this year. And you let the tree up, I guarantee you dollars to donuts, you, you're not going to want to see the, the next thing that ends up going up there. And and then then like I say, then you're just off to the races. So this is not the fight that I would choose to pick. If you've got a nice Christmas tree, put it in your office, and then, you know, even though the Capitol's not open to visitors, other members of the legislature can come and say, Hey, that's a really nice holiday tree. Or That's a great Christmas tree. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.